It's the show for real people doing real work in social media. It's the Social Pros Podcast from Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, featuring Jeff Roars and special contributor Zena Wiest. Presented by Interactive Marketing Hub, Exact Target, and sponsored by Janrain, the leaders in social sign-in and interaction. Cision, giving marketers and PR pros tools to expand their exposure. And Xbeon, social engagement software for world-class companies. Ready to accelerate your social media? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. It is me, Jay Bear, from Convince and Convert Live today at home. Uh, Getting ready to get back out on the road here in a day or so. Delighted to be here talking to the Midwestern Social Media Mafia, Mr. Jeff Roars from Exact Target. Jeff, from where do you join the podcast today? I, too, am at home in Cleveland, Ohio, technically Lakewood, Ohio, Jay. Is, is Zena going to complete the triumph? I don't know. Zena Wiest of XBion, are you also at home? I am at home, too. I think this is the first time ever. Wow. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. We should just end the show right there. Be like, everybody's at home. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have covered the entire Midwest. Zena is uh, calling in from Kansas City. So we have yeah. it all covered. Well, that is awesome. I'm delighted that everybody's getting a little home time before uh, back out on the road. October is usually a pretty busy month. I know Jeff's got a lot going on. And I do too. Zena, I know you do. So thank you all for taking the time to be on the Social Pros podcast. And speaking of being out on the road, our guest today, Jen Beechin, who is the Director of Digital and Integrated Marketing at White Wave Foods. I actually saw Jen and met her at Zena's conference, the XBion uh, User Summit, not too long ago. She uh, is just terrific and doing some amazing things at White Wave. So we wanted to have her on Social Pros to tell all of our listeners uh, all the great things that she's doing. And I should also mention, speaking of listeners, just before we get into Jen, um, thank you all so much for your support of the show. I got the new download numbers recently from uh, Jess, who's our uh, managing editor for Convince and Convert. And this show is blowing up. We have more than doubled the downloads of the show in the last 60 days. So thank you all uh, for being uh, a part of Social Pros. We would not do this without you. So thank you very much for your support. And with that, please welcome to the big podcast, Jen Beechin from White Wave. Jen, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Jay. Thanks very much for being here. You are uh, in Boulder. Is that right? That's right. I'm in uh, beautiful Broomfield, Colorado, just outside of Boulder. Holy smoke. So it's been kind of a crazy little stretch for you guys. Everybody okay? Uh, everybody's okay. People are getting back to normal. Um, it was pretty crazy, all the flooding, lots of damage to homes and roads and um, unexpected, sort of uh, biblical, they've been saying. Well, yeah, you don't really think of Boulder and floods really in the same sentence very often. <laughs> no, you don't. Um, but uh, it's good to see people are kind of getting their houses back together. Um, and it's not the first thing everybody's talking about at this point. So yeah. that's good. Yeah, scary times, that's for sure. Yep. I think because White Wave actually is an umbrella company that represents multiple brands that Social Pros listeners may have experienced in their trips to the supermarket, maybe it would make sense for you to give us just a little bit of a background on White Wave and the brands that you represent and how that works. Great. Yeah, um, White Wave is a public company. Um, Like I said, we're based in Broomfield, Colorado. Uh, We have three major brands in the U.S., International Delight, uh, Creamers, and Iced Coffee, Silk, uh, which is soy milk, almond milk, and coconut milk, as well as yogurt. 
and, uh, and iced coffee, and Horizon Organic um, milk and other products. Um, so three different brand franchises that your listeners may be aware of. Um, and across those brands, uh, we have quite a good social following, about 2 million uh, Facebook fans and about 50,000 Twitter followers. All of those brands are somehow rooted in in dairy or or related items. Is that on purpose or accidental, or or how did that happen? Um, it is by purpose. Um, we were um, these were ind- independent companies. At least Silk and Horizon were independent local Boulder companies that were acquired by Dean Foods and then subsequently sold by Dean Foods. So we completed our move to independence in May of this year. Um, and International Delight was a brand we picked up during our time under Dean, but then took with us as we became an independent company under White Wave. And a little-known fact, International Delight is my wife's nickname for me, so it's great to have that um, tie-in on the show. One of the interesting things which about... Which flavor, Jay? Um, uh, which flavor? Um, I don't know. Zena, which flavor would I be? Zena's not my wife. I just thought that, you know, because she's a, a woman. I just want to make sure <laughs> we're clear on that. You're putting on the spot. I would think something with chocolate, something with mocha. Thank you. Thank you, mocha. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, speaking of international things, I wouldn't usually start uh, with this line of questioning, Jen, but I find it so fascinating that of all the people we have had on the show, and this is episode 80-something, uh, you may be the only one who has a master's in Russian uh, and, and Russian studies. That's typically not the sort of springboard to um, social media digital marketing excellence. Uh, how did that happen? Oh my goodness, I can't believe you're bringing that up. Um, So, well, it was the late 80s, it was perestroika, it was a very interesting time in international relations. Are you blaming Gorbachev for your social media? (laughs) Yes, I am. Um, I happened to start studying Russian. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to start studying an exotic language while I was in high school. And then, um, you know, it's so much work to get anywhere decent in Russian that I continued it on in college. And next thing I knew, I was sort of working towards a major. So, um, I don't know, it was a passion. I got the chance to live over there. I think it makes you, uh, you know, studying anything, sort of liberal arts, international relations, makes you a more critical thinker. Um, I think I'm a bit of an adventurer, you know, heading over there as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old to live in St. Petersburg was a pretty cool experience. So um, it's pretty much relegated to cocktail party chatter, although now on your podcast. <laughs> Do you ever think, you know, this tweet would this tweet would be so much funnier in Russian? Do you ever think that? Often, but I do try to follow some people that are speaking Russian so that I can try to uh, stay a little bit current. Good for you. That's fantastic. Because you've got the three different brands, the three primary brands in the U.S., uh, how do you staff that on the social media content side? Do you have social media managers, community managers dedicated to each brand? So you've got a Silk team and a Horizon team and an international uh, delight team, or is it one group that works horizontally across all of your brands? Uh, we do have it staffed by brand. Um, they are very different, um, very different audiences, um, different product lines, different passion points. So we found it most successful to have um, a small team dedicated against each one. We do use some agencies in common and, and shared resources as part of our um, integrated marketing and marketing services team. But we do have um, dedicated social marketing leads for each brand. 
And how about on the on the content side, or do you really split out content and social, or does that one uh, team for each of the brands kind of handle both sides of that equation? Um, yeah, the team that our in-house team handles both kind of marketing programs um, in social media as well as the day-to-day content. And um, there are some shared content opportunities for sure, um, but for the most part, we've identified. Con- content strategies which are unique for each brand. You know, for example, Horizon Organic is very mom and kids focused. Um, Silk has a lot of uh, vegetarian, sort of plant-based lifestyle following. And then International Delight is all about coffee and the joy of coffee. So um, there isn't, you know, a ton of overlap. So we, we try to see some synergies where we can. It's A lot of times it's the same designers, but they have different briefs for the different brands. Do you find that there are different social networks or social outposts that are better for each of the brands? Obviously, you've got slightly different uh, audiences and motivations, as you just mentioned, but do you find that Silk is much stronger on on Pinterest and International Delight stronger on Instagram, or your audiences tend to coalesce more on different social networks? Um, well, they're all strong on Facebook, which you know makes sense because that's where you have the most, um, probably the most of our target from our sure. studies would be on Facebook versus the others. Although the others are certainly emerging, um, I would say that where where a brand has a lot of nutrition or news related content, it gets more traction on Twitter. So Silk, in particular, seems to do really well on Twitter and has um, at least twice as many followers as the other brands. And you know, particularly when it comes to whether it's you know, meatless Mondays or um, different vegetarian trends or non-GMO information, those types of things seem to do really well on Twitter and in little sound bites. Whereas the other brands, uh, we haven't quite cracked the code on the right content there. I noticed that obviously Twitter is a little bit of a, a different story, but for a lot of the other programs that you're involved in, a lot of your social engagement is very, very photo driven. And I think you're doing a, a terrific job with showcasing the products in a, in a cool way uh, with photos. That must be a strategy that, that you are deploying on purpose. And, and how do you get those photos created and put into social? What does that process look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know, we all know that um, social media is becoming much more visual. Um, and, you know, early on, we learned that our posts did a lot better if they had visuals. And then from then, we've just done more and more as we've been able to get more resources to, um, to upgrade and continually enhance um, the, the visual content. We, it, it's a whole variety of things. It could be anything from um, fan sourced content to um, blogger or influencer sourced content where we have relationships. Um, sometimes we'll do, you know, right now if you look on the International Delight page, we have some beautiful fall pumpkin imagery. We actually um, did a photo shoot for that and we were able to uh, basically get a whole bunch of content in one day locally and then uh, deploy that across the different platforms in different ways, whether it's recipe, content, um, sweepstakes, just different fall ambiance, you know, fan vignettes, that type of thing. So we try to um, we try to gang up on content and then redeploy it as much as possible. Um, but a lot of times it is curated and it's things that as we get to know what works with our fans, we know where to look to find content that's already out there. 
Jen, this is Jeff. Um, selling through retailers being you know, a, a consumer packaged good company, um, are you engaging with them on social media? And if so, uh, what benefits or any good anecdotes uh, as they've become more familiar and comfortable in the social media than you have as well? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. I think I would say it's still pretty early for us. Um, there are concerns about sort of cross-channel competitiveness if you talk about one retailer and then how do you make sure that you equitably address others. So we're not, we haven't done as much addressing retailers and retail opportunities within our own platform. However, sorry about that, we welcome retailers to tag us and refer to us. Um, and we've seen that quite a bit, for example, with Walmart. Our team in Bentonville has found some great opportunities um, where you can, let's say, submit a custom recipe using your product or submit a post for, their, for the Walmart Facebook page. And if you get selected, um, you can be uh, included and exposed to the, the Walmart fan base, which is really awesome. Um, but we haven't moved towards um, actually talking about retailers on our own platforms yet, although it's something we continually sort of think about and test. For example, if we have a product in limited distribution, an exclusive uh, early launch or something like that, we, we have started talking about those types of things. Um, but we haven't done a joint promotion with a retailer on our own platform yet. I could see it coming in the future once we sort of work out some of that protocol. Yeah, so a somewhat related question um, in that uh, obviously you own, the you own the product packaging. Have you been leveraging your packaging in interesting ways to increase uh, you know, direct consumer engagement through social channels? And if so, uh, could you walk us through any of those campaigns? Um, you know, it's with food packaging, there's pretty long lead times. Um, so we don't, we're not able to play with it as much as we would like to. I agree, it's a really great opportunity. We do have um, a call on the packaging to, um, to check out our Facebook community um, and the traditional consumer affairs information, of course. But we haven't done a lot of promotional um, opportunities with packaging or you know, switching out different platforms, things like that. Um, at this point, I believe we only have Facebook on there. I think we may be adding Twitter on Silk. Um, but I agree that it's a great opportunity. It's challenging when you only touch your packaging you know, every 12 or 18 months um, to be able to get something on there that's going to have the right shelf life. Sure, sure. Does, does email factor into uh, your social program? Are you leveraging uh, that with direct email subscribers and trying to get that cross-pollinization? We are, yes. So we have um, email marketing and we are able to use um, some of the content that we generate for social, obviously in our email newsletters. Um, we're, we've been thinking a lot about how we can create even greater synergies there, maybe even have our CRM you know, fan base whether they're voting on things or commenting on things to help us optimize our social content. We think that's a great, um, great opportunity. And just making sure that if we have really strong performing content that we feature it in CRM because not all of our CRM database members are fans. Um, so they're not, they haven't necessarily seen it. Um, we also have the opportunity and we do on every email invite them to become a fan as well. Hey, Jen and Sina, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the differences between uh, social KPIs when it comes to day in, day out, what you guys are looking at versus campaign-driven ones. If you can share a little bit of that with us, that would be great. Yeah, great question, Zena. Um, I mean, in terms of our ongoing KPIs, we're looking at um, 
you know, awareness and engagement are basically our two major um, goals for the year. Obviously, there's lots of little measures underneath that. Awareness tends to play in more at the campaign level. So when we have a new product, a new brand message, a new campaign, um, we're trying to get as many eyeballs and as much um, earned media as we can at that time. And then engagement is sort of the always-on approach of always having fresh content, having a steady um, level of uh, PTAT and social mentions through listening. So I would say that we, we strive to have you know, a set level, it's different on each brand, of that core engagement. And then we're, we're striving to get a certain amount of impressions and awareness around specific campaign overlays. And is engagement driving any of your product um, enhancements or any of the newer any campaigns? Are you seeing social taking a front seat at all with, with uh, the engagement numbers increasing? Um, you mean versus traditional media? Yes, versus traditional driving. I mean, it's still a mix here. I mean, we still have really strong data that suggests that our traditional media um, is a core driver for the business. So um, social is still a complementary versus a, it's not overtaking traditional media yet. I mean, one of the great things is that we're able to be always on, whereas we're not necessarily always on TV. Um, we're always on print, um, so we can provide some continuity. And I think that the, um, certainly the amount of focus and the amount of you know, marketing excellence that we're trying to bring has, has, since I've been working specifically in digital and integrated over the last couple years, there's been a much stronger focus on accountability, a lot more interest by the brand teams in what we're doing and what we can do. So while we don't necessarily have the resources of TV yet, um, and we're not looking to replace TV yet, I think we're, our power to become more and more complementary and more and more influential is definitely growing. That's fantastic. And how do you guys partner with the customer service team? Customer service, not, I mean, especially with the end users, with the consumers, but also um, any customer service issues from, you know, the retail side as well. Yeah, um, we, we're lucky that we do have an internal customer service, like, group of internal managers. Um, we do have, you know, we have the actual call center is, is outside the company, but the, um, the internal team, we all sit in the same area on the same floor. And so um, we pretty much every week we do kind of a, informal briefings on different themes that are going on, whether we're seeing it from our side of the, of the business or from their side of the business. So let's say there's been, you know, a, a complaint that's come in through the consumer affairs line. They'll warn us that we might be seeing this in social media or if we have a promotion or a coupon or we might have some printer problems, you know, that type of thing. We're trying to keep each other in the loop um, at all times. And, um, you know, we do, it's, it's more of a um, uh, teamwork approach at this point. We don't, we at White Wave don't have a lot of shared tools yet for tracking those things. I think that's the next wave probably for a lot of companies is to have all of that consumer information and engagement in one database. That would be awesome. Um, but right now we're sort of sharing it as we know it in the halls and making sure that we're on, on the same page. A lot of times if, if we do have an issue that arises, um, we'll be asked by senior management to do a combined report. Um, and so we'll be kind of tracking on both sides and then put that together. That's, you know, a place where you wish you had that shared, uh, the shared resource and that's something we'll definitely work towards in the future. But, um, you know, it's really important to have both sides talking to each other and um, for the consumer that calls in to the 800 number to have a similar experience. So as we've gotten savvier about the voice that we address consumers with, 
the way we greet them, the way we treat them, you know, the way we end the engagement, whatever, we're sharing those learnings with consumer affairs as well so that we can try to have that voice be consistent across all touch points. I love that you guys sit so close together. I think that proximity is only going to help to, you know, the customers and, and to be customer advocates internally. And like you said, that consistent voice, that consistent brand message, but also just the consistent brand experience, whether it's online or offline. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I think it helps too being on the forefront in, with so many engagements every day. You can make suggestions for, you know, hey, why are we doing it this way in consumer affairs? You know, a consumer calls in and offers us a product idea, and we tell them, sorry, we legally can't take that. You know, we're, we are evolving because we're seeing how powerful that type of input can be in social media and letting consumers be involved in the business and contribute. So, you know, we're we're trying to affect change where, where we see more old-fashioned practices. We're able to have one side influence the other. One of the things that you mentioned at Xena's event was your experiment with the Tastemakers campaign and how that didn't actually deploy quite how you wanted it to in social. And it was really terrific and you were very um, upfront about that at, at the event and that sometimes things just don't work out. Uh, before we move on to the next uh, segment of the show, could you kind of run that back for us and talk a little bit about that program and, and what your lessons were? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had um, a pretty robust what we would call evergreen program for Silk where we're, we're really talking kind of shared passion value-based content. Um, and you know, together with a, a paid strategy, we were able to maintain sort of that level of buzz that I mentioned before that we're, we're measuring for on an annual basis. But we had the opportunity to um, kind of try something new with, this, with a campaign where we were um, launching a product improvement as well as our new ice latte product. And we, um, we created a um, engagement, kind of an activation platform where consumers would talk about the taste of the products and we would then turn that into a video with the hope of doing it as, as real time as possible and then leveraging those videos primarily on Facebook but across our platforms as, you know, look what we did with your content, you know, kind of rewarding our fans for their engagement by having these cool experiences. Um, we created uh, videos that included a soul singer, interpretive dancer, a, even a yodeler. Um, and, they're, and they're actually very funny and they're well produced. Um, but the, what we found is when we started posting the videos on Facebook, we actually got less engagement than we were getting with our um, evergreen visual content. And I think some of it was that, um, we, that video isn't necessarily the right, uh, the right content for Facebook. Um, you know, consumers still don't necessarily click on videos. The, the image, the thumbnail that appears isn't necessarily appealing in the news feed, particularly probably on mobile. Um, so it, using that as our primary way of distributing video was, was definitely a, not the best decision on our part. And then I think additionally, if you're going to take really a step out of your brand's, you know, core zone into something a little bit more risky, I think you have to really think about um, is that the right fit for your brand or are you going a little bit too far and trying to be a little bit too crazy and kind of following the latest uh, trend, bright, shiny object? There are a lot of video campaigns that are out there. Um, and I, you know, without naming names, I've been researching and I see that some others aren't doing as well either. So, um, you know, part of it too is I think everybody got infected by the, the Old Spice campaign and, oh, what if we could do something like that? Um, and certainly it's not wrong to aspire to do that, but I think you have to know who you are, what your capabilities are, how much 
you know, can you really do something real time? How much money are you really going to put against distribution of the content? Um, what are you really looking for for results? Because for us, without kind of really reinventing um, our strategy, our distribution strategy, as well as our measurement strategy, this, this particular campaign didn't prove to be a fit. Um, so it was a good learning for us, and I was um, you know, happy to share it at the conference. It seemed like people uh, found refreshing to have a learning of something that, that wasn't as successful, and hopefully people can learn from it. Yeah, it's a little unusual to be at a conference and somebody says this is where it didn't work out because typically it's, you know, look how awesome we are. So I really admire you for, for putting that together. And, and one of the things I think we tend to overlook is that, look, even though these are your fans on Facebook and they have chosen to like you, they're not going to see everything you publish. And so when you do this sort of campaign series kind of thing that sort of relies on their um, sort of understanding and grokking the big picture, if they're only seeing every fifth thing that you publish, it's kind of hard for them to, to piece that all together. Um, you know, our relationship with our fans on Facebook and on Twitter is much less consistent than we think it is as, as marketers. Yes, there are people liking and engaging with every post, but it's different people in, in some cases. And, and so it's not like they're seeing five things in a row. They're seeing one and then they don't see two and then they see another one. So it can get a little staccato, that relationship. And if the campaign requires them to kind of understand the backstory, uh, sometimes they just miss it. That's that's a really great point, and I think you know we we sometimes we get involved in a campaign internally, and we think you know we we have a deck that's ten slides long that we're showing you know when we're selling it in, whether it's to the brand team or management, and it all makes sense when you have that kind of backstory. But when you're you know you can't, it's hard to explain in a Facebook post. Hey, we're going to have this these series of seven videos, and here's how it's going to work, and you really have to watch them all. And to your point, if the consumer did watch them all, they'd probably say, wow, that was a really creative experiment by Silk. They did a really great job with that. But if they're just quickly going through their newsfeed and, like you say, they see one of the videos and it's a yodeler, they're probably going to think, what the heck is this? <laughs> um, so you really have to be realistic about what you can accomplish and what people are going to see. So the lesson for this uh, segment of the show, and perhaps the headline for this blog post uh, of the uh, podcast may be, if you're going to have a yodeler, make sure you have context. That's my summary. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> All yodeling done in context. Thank you. Thank you very much. In Russian. In Russian. <laughs> if you could yodel in Russian right now, I would be super duper impressed. We won't make you do that. Um, let me remind you that this podcast, Social Pros, is brought to you by the good people at Exact Target, a world leader in interactive marketing software, powering the email, web, mobile, and social programs of thousands and thousands of big companies and even small companies all around the world. Uh, Exact Target has a really cool new thing. I just put it on the Convince to Convert blog today. It is called the Mobile Lifecycle Roadmap. Did you know that 44% of all emails are opened with a mobile device? That being the case, every email program needs a mobile component. What Exact Target has done is created a poster. It's actually a downloadable poster that shows you how to inject smart mobile into your existing email program. Really interesting stuff in a very cool format. You can grab that right now for free at ar.gy slash mobile roadmap, ar.gy slash mobile roadmap and that's all lowercase also speaking of exact target tomorrow is jeff Rohr's birthday happy birthday jeff what are Thank you going you very to, much sir what are you going to do for your big birthday uh i don't know if we have too many plans i think i might go throw some skee ball and shoot some aliens at dave and busters with the kids i love it 
I love it. You know, you get you need to do that now because once your book comes out, what do you got? Four weeks left, something like uh, that. Yeah, the eleventh of November. It's fast approaching. Yeah, there's not going to be a lot of ski ball, brother. I can tell you that. Your your ski ball <laughs> days are almost over. Things, right? Yes, your yes, plenty of things, but your ski ball days are almost over. So get that in uh, while you can. I, I was. I was not informed of this during the negotiation process. I wish you would have been there as my agent. The, uh, the publishers never talk to you about the minimization of skee-ball when they're trying to pin you down. I've discovered very, that. Very disappointing. Do you have a social media stat of the week? I do indeed. Uh, as most of our listeners uh, have probably uh, been reading and probably have even read the IPO, Twitter filed to go public. Uh, they initially did so in kind of cloak and your fashion didn't release their numbers, and then last week uh, they released uh, a little bit more in the IPO filing. It became public, and um, I thought it'd be interesting to just kind of chat through a little bit of that and get uh, your reflections, Jay, on you know what those numbers mean. So, at a at a top line, um, they have over uh, 218 million monthly active users. That's the MAU acronym that has become. Uh, most associated with Facebook. Uh, by contrast, uh, Facebook in Q2 of this year reported, uh, I believe it was 1.15 billion monthly active users. So you're looking at about a fifth uh, of the uh, of the active user base uh, between Twitter and Facebook. And then in terms of daily active users, which is the DAU acronym. Uh, Twitter uh, claims to have over 100 million daily active users, uh, and I believe um, Facebook has about 669 million as of Q2. Um, the other interesting stat um, that kind of caught my eye was just, um, you know, revenue growth is is appears to be doing well. And in 2002, they or 2012 rather, they had about 316 million in revenue, and just in the first half of 2013, they had 253. So they've almost um, hit their 2012 number. Um, but nevertheless, folks are looking at the numbers. Uh, you have the inherent skepticism of investors who say, say oh, well, their growth might be slowing and the revenue isn't enough to uh, obviously cover uh, expenses as they do have some debt. But, um, you know, I, I look at these numbers and uh, A, it was interesting that they uh, are reporting the same kind of acronym structure as Facebook, that we've now kind of settled on that as the uh, as the way to uh, measure um, growth and you know user base of social networks across social networks, um, and secondly, that uh, the other thing that has been kind of clouding these numbers is, uh, ironically, Facebook's own uh, IPO and the way that was uh, kind of mishandled. That some people are wondering if Twitter will be subject to the same kind of problems, which I think is unfair to kind of put on their plate. But nevertheless, that's the comparative, uh, you know, kind of competitor uh, that they have out there. So I don't know, Jay, if you had had the chance in your travels to look at the, the IPO uh, numbers for Twitter and if anything else jumped out at the page and you. I'm actually going to step in for a second yeah. because I was I was surprised on the MAU as well that that I mean made perfect sense to me for Twitter to lean towards that. Um, that stat that we'd heard, that monthly um, average user stat that we'd heard from Facebook, it makes it makes sense. But I also thought they might come up with something that was a little bit different, to, again, just to differentiate and own, you know, as their own. Um, but 
the media, I mean, the, the platforms need an average stat, and to me, this makes perfect sense. But again, I just thought that they would be coached or guided to come up with something a little bit sep- separate, a little bit more real-time, um, not monthly, maybe weekly, maybe daily, I didn't know, or event-driven or something like that. But I, I think we'll see that um, continue to grow um, after the IPO. But I did like seeing that, and I liked being able to balance the two between Facebook and Twitter. I um, think that I agree with you on that they're going to be held accountable to this. How is the IPO actually going to roll out? They're going to be under a magnifying glass with how things are so mangled with Facebook. And again, I don't think that that's necessarily fair, but I think it's the situation that we're in, um, you know, given how terrible everything went down with Facebook. Um, You know, for me, for Twitter, you know, Jeff, I'm rooting for them because um, I've always, gosh, I don't even go on record saying this, but I'm more of a Twitter girl than I am a Facebook girl in that it's just been ever since it went live seven years ago, it's just been something that's just been part of my DNA day in, day out. Even before I was mobile Twitter, I was desktop Twitter and I don't know. It's just something that I've always just, maybe it's because Ab Williams is from Nebraska and it's, you know, <laughs> close to Kansas and he's a Midwest boy and I, and I love that. Or maybe it's just, I see the utility um, so much more um, from a, from an industry perspective. Um, and it's just so exciting on the real time play of it. And um, so I'm just hoping bigger, better, greater, even though the population the isn't there yet. I'm really hopeful that um, this just, you know, blows all of our expectations out of the water. Are you putting money into it? Am I? Yeah. Uh, not, no, not at the beginning, but I'd love to if I could. If I were you or if I was Jeff, absolutely I would. You guys have more cash laying around than I do, you know. Jeff's got all that book money. Well, you that's what i'm thinking you know is that why you timed your book to go when you did that was smart thinking jeff yeah are you coming out like the same day as the ipo i don't know what's the ipo date i don't think they've dated it yet but it could be right around the same time it could be right around the same time i think yeah that would be great have they come out uh with a latest stat on the percentage of people that read only on twitter versus actually tweet um, I don't see that in the data that I'm looking at. I do see that 75% of their monthly active users are mobile, and 65% of their ad revenues come from mobile, which is uh, a big difference from Facebook. Yeah. Because uh, right now, I think Facebook, uh, let me look at their Q2 stats here, is that um, they have about 819 million mobile monthly. So that's that's probably comparable. Uh, comparable about 75% but when Facebook went public remember it didn't have any revenue for mobile yep so Twitter has a you know much more a mature mobile story here of course you know that's in its DNA because you know it started as a you know a, a kind of a mobile app in many ways because you were using text messages yeah uh, for many users in the, the early days well, it was originally 50% of all people on Twitter never tweeted. They just, something like that, they just read. And then the last time I checked that data was last year in the social habit research I did with Tom Webster. I think it was somewhere in the 30s at that point. It's definitely okay. gone down. I was, I was thinking it was 30s. That was yeah. the last yeah. stat I saw too. 
they do have a uh, in the IPO they they talk about uh, spam accounts, fake accounts, it being about five percent all of uh, the account base, and um, I, I think that just underscores something that we've talked about before, and that spam is an internet problem. It's not a single channel problem. Um, so you know, Facebook is facing that, Twitter's facing that, email faces that. I was just at the search engine um, or the search marketing expo uh, in New York. York City, and it continues to be a problem in the search space as well. Um, but you know, you're not legitimate. You you're not legitimate if you don't have a spam. If you don't have five percent. Oh yeah, if, if yeah, if you don't have <laughs> if you don't have spam on your if you don't have spam on your social network, you're you're not in a position you're, to make people money. <laughs> right? Your street cred, yeah, your street cred just goes down, right? <laughs> there, there's no IPO in sight. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm I'm really intrigued because I, I I'd like. Hopefully somebody will flush out these numbers or there'll be some good interviews because one of the things that Twitter and all the social networks doubled down on, but Twitter especially was email. I mean, I don't you guys remember this. You would sign up for Twitter and there was just nothing. There was no onboarding process whatsoever. If you didn't have a friend who understood Twitter, you didn't use Twitter. And I I think that that is a problem that they've started to solve for over the last couple of years with email and an onboarding process and a drip campaign and these emails that tell you, you know, somebody like this and somebody's followed you and all of that. Um, but th their next challenge, I think, is how do you break through to that next level of people who, um, you know, aren't on the bleeding edge of technology but still can get value from this. And maybe, Jen, to your point, maybe it's growing the people who don't tweet they consume. Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. It does seem to be, I, that's what I was going to say too. Social TV. I mean, I, we just had Twitter was in recently presenting to us, and they were really pushing their their Twitter their TV integration uh, opportunities. So that and that's really exciting. Yeah, and I definitely see more people consuming when it comes to social TV, just watching the hashtag and taking it in, and not necessarily commenting. There's not an easy way on Twitter to just. Like, I mean, you can favorite, but you kind of need to know your way around Twitter yep. to get to that. Where on Facebook, you can like, 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 like. I mean, simple, and you don't really have to commit to a comment. On Twitter, to really engage, you have to commit to a comment. You have to retweet. You have to respond. You have to, you know, do something creative in 140. And I think that can hinder, you know, people from testing it out, especially with event. -based. Do you think so, Zena? You'd like to see that. So you'd like to see that kind of thin, positive. Or even negative sentiment enter into into Twitter. I so you would, don't have to retweet. You can just suggest whether you like it or you don't. I would for mainstream. Now, me personally as a user, no, um, because I kind of think that a like is what we call in Kansas City, Johnson County beige. It doesn't really mean that much. It's more the share or the you know. What? Wait, 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 wait a second. What? what? I need, I, I what kind of again. crazy Kansas City <laughs> reference is that? Wait, Johnson County beige? Is that what yes. that was? Johnson County Beige. So, so the county in Kansas, the biggest county, the you know, I don't know, I don't want to offend anybody. Right, too late. But the elite, yeah, the elite county. Um, the the color of all of the houses in Johnson County, and I live in Johnson County, so I can say this is ba they call it Johnson County Beige at the Home Depot right down the street. They have a Johnson County Beige, and it's just all the houses look that color beige. And so to me. When you talk about a like on Facebook, I've always said, well, that's like a Johnson County beige. There's not a lot of commitment to a like. Um, just in my mind, I would prefer a share. I would prefer a comment, some sort of engagement. 
I'm so sorry. I just threw in. Next week on the podcast, the social media manager for Johnson County, Kansas. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Either either that or it's going to be the name of Zena's homebrew, Johnson Johnson County Beige. Johnson County Beige. Love it. Sorry, I sidetracked us there. There was one other point, Jeff, that you brought up on email. I think that's going to be another revenue generator for them is those onboarding emails and then those emails all of us get and sometimes we poke fun of them because it says, since you're following Jay Bear, I recommend that you follow Amber at Nathlin or something like that. Um, you know, I think that's going to be another huge revenue generator for them, though. Just ads in those emails. I, I'm sure those are coming. Yeah, I predicted that like three years ago, and they still haven't done it, which is kind of a commendable in some ways. Well, and that gets to the whole audience. Did you? Thing. Well, there you go. You're setting the tone, and I'm just catching up here. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm, I'm just really surprised well, they didn't they didn't do it. Something important. You know, we'll we'll get into this, Jay, when we're we're talking the book in a few weeks. But the the question becomes, what can the networks themselves do to help their audience grow their audience? And I'm not sure that that Facebook, that Twitter, that Instagram, that any of them are doing it particularly well. And I think you're right, Zena. There's probably some revenue opportunities there to help their audience, you know, get more yep. uh, subscribers, fans, followers, whatever the. Although I would say with Twitter, oh. Twitter's cards, the the direct um, email sign up cards uh, is actually a really good uh, yes. taste yes. of that. It, yeah, and that's and that's one of the first to really you know kind of embrace and acknowledge that. I mean, Facebook had tabs, obviously, and continues to, but it's. Yeah, but you know what? Facebook could very easily allow you. Organic as the Twitter cards. Facebook could very easily allow you to collect data inside a status update, um, but they don't. So you have to use third parties like Splash Post. And I'm actually a big fan of Splash Post. I think they've really licked that challenge, uh, and it's inexpensive and 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 works well. But uh, you know that could be a native Facebook option, just the same way that you create an event or an ad. But they're just like, nah, not into it. And I think, I think, Jay, we're going to see more and more of that native coming from Twitter, just just with what they've done past where they are just continue to buy people that are figuring it out. Yeah. I think they want to own that, and they want to, you know, that's going to be where their revenue is, you know, is in that data and making sure that they're the ones. Yeah. Let's move on to the next section because we got a few things to do still. And I want to remind you that Social Pros is also brought to you by the good people at Jan Rain, who provide social sharing, social login, and social profile data collection services to some of the biggest and most successful online marketers in the world. They do lots of cool stuff, especially with social sign-in. Um, we all want to collect data. In fact, we were just talking about collecting data via Facebook and uh, and Twitter and, and other circumstances. And and you know we probably all collect data on our websites, whether it's an email newsletter sign-up or a download or something else. But there's really no point doing that um, if the data that you collect isn't clean, isn't good. And, and certainly there are people who come to our websites who are like, yeah, I'm interested, but I don't really want to fill out this whole form. So JanRain has a free guide on how to maximize both the efficacy of your data and the conversion rate of people who come to your website who are thinking about filling out a form. And you can do that with social login and a bunch of other great ideas that they profile in this free downloadable book. Uh, It's all about how to improve your data collection. And you can get that for free at ar.gy slash better registration. That's ar.gy slash better registration. And that's from our friends at Jan Rain. Zena, do you have for us a holy social? I do. I do. But before the holy social, real quick, you know, I just realized with Jeff's birthday being this week, all three of us are Libras. Yes. 
Also true. I just think that's really cool. Because your birthday was yeah. last week, okay. right? Or the week before. Right. Well, it was, I'm one day before you. That's right. I'm that's on, right. Uh, yeah. So there you go. This is kind of crazy. We're Midwest and we're all three. I also discovered mm-hmm. that like, seriously, like half of my clients are also Libras. Jen, are you a Libra? No, I'm a Gemini. Jen's too cool to oh. be a Libra. That's true. <laughs> really well, you know what? Actually. All Libras are a little nerdy uh, and yes. it's like birds of a feather. Now, there's disproportionate number of Libras in the Midwest because it's just cold in January, folks. That's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. We all are like New Year's Eve babies or then some. You're there, right. That's a really good point. <laughs> Listen to that. Wow. Okay, there you go. Okay, so this week's Totally Social um, actually comes from the Midwest. Um, John Hahn gave this to us via Twitter. Big shout out to John for leading us to Chief David Oliver of the Brimfield, Ohio Police Department. With over 88K followers on the Brimfield Police Department Facebook page, Chief Oliver is the voice and the strategic mind behind the department's Facebook page. 88,000 followers, way more than Philadelphia's or Chicago's or Cleveland's Police Department pages, and there's a lot of chatter going on with each post. The content is consistently Chief Oliver. In fact, there are a ton of Chief Oliverisms, such as mopes, which are ne'er-do-wells or criminals. I know that. These are mopes. And he addresses most posts with Dear Cousins, and Cousins is his salutation to the page's followers. And they embrace that name, Cousins. Um, Also, there are humorous Chief Rants and ties to his books, No Mopes Allowed. Here's the interesting thing, though, and I know that Jeff knows this because this is his neck of the woods, but Brimfield, Ohio, only has 10,000 residents. So, you know, where all are all of these 88,000 folks coming from, these cousins? Well, Chief Oliver has fans from all over the U.S. In fact, he invited all of the department page followers, the cousins, to come to the city's recent fall festival. Um, over a thousand people outside of Brimfield responded to the fall festival invite and traveled as far away from um, Arizona was the furthest that somebody flew in for it, um, all wanting to meet, of course, Chief Oliver. And I was on the page this morning doing research for this year's podcast, and I watched the most recent post go from 800 likes to 1,000 in less than 30 minutes. And here's a comment from that post just to kind of give you an idea of the vibe of the page. There's also a strong sense of community, the way he thinks outside the box, his servant heart, and his awesome leadership skills. Too many police departments have chiefs who have put themselves on a pedestal and take credit for everything. One of the first things that caught my eye and appreciation is that the chief gives credit to his officers on a regular basis. I'm proud to be one of the numerous cousins and find myself trying to follow the example and be a better cousin where I live. Holy social. I mean, what a great quote. That guy's going to be, that guy's going to be the police chief of like some major city at some point, just based on his social media prowess. That's awesome. Um, I think he'll be the mayor or something. I mean, that kind of, that kind of attitude. And Cory Booker kind of thing, but without the prostitute. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, there, there's another person that I know of, Kristen Brown, who, uh, who used to work with exact target kind of running, um, uh, the partner channels 
and she is now uh, mayor of Columbus, Indiana. And she posts regularly and extensively on Facebook, uh, you know, pictures of all the various events, not just that she's participating in, but she uses it as a, you know, an amplifier for the good things going on in the community or the needs in the community. And uh, this police chief, you know, it sounds like he he's from that exact same kind of mentality, but it's rare. I think it's more rare to find it in a police chief, somebody who is, you know, carrying a gun, facing, uh, you know, life and death situations. Um, you know, for the most part, those guys are kind pretty of pretty close to the best. And yeah. they're the last people you'd expect, you know, that kind of insight from, right? Yeah. It, I mean, Jay, I, I think would... it's that sheriff in Arizona. Who is that guy out there? Sheriff Joe. Sheriff yeah. Joe, there's the there's the antithesis of this gentleman. Yes, 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 Tell indeed. Not Sheriff Joe. Oh, that's a whole other show. We should get him on the. We'll get him on Social Pros. It'll be amazing. Yeah. No, <laughs> no yeah. we we Social definitely pros. will not. We definitely will not. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> but you know what we should do is you know the same way we got the yeah. happy bitch ladies on. Uh, yeah. You need to reach out to the chief, and we'll get the chief on the show. Okay, I will. Hey, Jay. I mean, Jeff. Do you have any ties to? I don't. I don't even know. Is Brinsfield close to you? What's What's the name of the town? Brinsfield. Again, population ten thousand. So I don't even know where it is. Okay. All right. If any well, If any I, listeners I are familiar with Brinsfield, Ohio, please uh, please let us know. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll start to we will research. Well, and I can I can reach out to um, John and just see if he has any ties to him, or I'll reach out to him directly. You know, the one thing I want I know we're running late, but the one thing I wanted to share with you guys that was really interesting is he says when they pull people over, they run a drug bust a couple of weeks ago, believe it or not. And the guy said, I am a fan of yours on Facebook. Is this going to end up on Facebook? He was not wanting it to, but he was just like, oh my God, I know you from Facebook. I'm, you know, I'm a fan of yours. Is this going to end up on Facebook? And, and Chief goes, well, what do you think? You know? So, um, you know, and it's basically this stuff doesn't happen in our neighborhood. That's his big thing. So if you don't want to be front and center, you know, and, and be spotlighted for the horrible things you're doing. Don't even think about doing this stuff in our neck of the woods. Wow. So. I'll tell you what, he's not that far away. He's in Portage, Portage County. It's only about an hour, hour and a half away from me. You know what's amazing is yeah. the Portage County beige. <laughs> <laughs> nice throwback. Thank you. Oh, my God. There. Thank you. All back together. Well, you know what? Somebody should host this show. That's how, that's how it works. <laughs> All right, Zeno, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to having a little law and order on social pros. That's going to do us all. Uh, that's going to do us all good. Um, we are going to ask Jen, the locally famous, for your information questions. Jen, I'm going to give you a moment to steal your nerves. Uh, and meanwhile, I'm going to tell our uh, listeners that this podcast is also brought to you by the good people at Xbeon, uh, which uh, Jen uses for her social media. Zena, of course, is a star of the Xbeon team. Uh, Xbeon is a centralized platform that powers global brands, agencies, and retailers uh, to help manage their social marketing efforts. Uh, and if you get a hold of Xbeon and, and sign up for a demo, maybe Zena herself will do that demo if you ask nicely and you and you mention um, beige. She'll she'll take care of that for you. Uh, they have a fantastic uh, ebook that you should download. It's a report called the Fave 50 Social Re- Retail Report, which analyzes more than 16,000, 16,000 
Facebook posts from major retailers and pulls out all kinds of lessons about actions and volume and engagement, things that we need to understand on how to use our Facebook pages more effectively. So even if you're not a retailer, you really should grab this. doesn't cost nothing, uh, and you will learn a lot that I can guarantee you. Grab that, the Fave 50 from Xbeon at ar.gy slash fave50. That's ar dot gy slash fave f-a-v-e five zero thanks always to our friends at xbeon for sponsoring the show okay jen are you ready for the for your information section here we go all right question number one how did you get involved in social media uh because i really enjoyed it personally and um because i got in that way i became very curious about how it could be used for brands and I was an early adopter and a champion. Um, and as a result, I sort of made my way from brand marketing into a digital role in a company. When you got involved personally, what, what flavor of social were you involved in? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Probably my favorite right now is Instagram. Nice. So today, now that you've been doing this for a while, both personally and professionally, what, what do you like best about social media? Sorry, you got cut off about Instagram? No, what do you like best about social media in general? Okay. Um, I like that it um, kind of gives the power back to the people. I like that it, um, it makes companies accountable to their fan base in a really direct, authentic, and transparent way, um, which is really a wonderful opportunity for brands like the ones that I get to work with because um, these are brands that have a lot of integrity, great stories, great benefits. Um, and you know, I think it would be a lot harder if you were trying to, to spin something or had, you know, didn't, didn't have as great of a product as, as we do at White Wave. But for us, um, it's just a win-win to be able to let consumers get more involved, give us suggestions, give us feedback, um, and really test and learn different, different ways of, of interacting and communicating. And conversely, what do you like least about social media at this point? <laughs> um, what I like least about social media is probably the relentless um, pace. Um, that's a, uh, also a benefit, right, because it's, it's always on. But it, you can never turn it off um, when that's part of your area of responsibility. Um, and you never know what to expect. So things can, um, can bubble up quickly. And you just you have to constantly be monitoring and constantly trying to get ahead of it, but you never really can. Um, there's always some new event in pop culture or something going on that you should be capitalizing on or could be capitalizing on, or your competition's capitalizing on. So yeah. um, it's not for the faint of heart. It's a uh, definitely a, a full-on uh, area once you get into it. Boy, you got that right. Last question, and thanks so much for being on the show. You were terrific. We appreciate you taking the time, and congratulations on all the success at White Wave. If you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be? Any living person? Um, Probably Oprah. I know that sounds probably pretty cheesy, but I just think she's fascinating. She's such a visionary. Um, as a marketer, entertainer, thinker, philanthropist, etc. Um, and I'd love to see what she's really like one-on-one. That's a good one. I don't think we've ever had Oprah. That's a fantastic answer. Well done. 
Whenever I say I enjoy uh, books from Oprah's book club, people tease me like I'm, you know, becoming too mainstream. But I actually think she has great taste in literature. <laughs> See? Don't listen to those people. They don't know what they're talking about. They're not Russian majors. Screw those guys. Exactly. Exactly. What do they know? Nothing. They only know English. <laughs> Thanks again for being on the show. You were terrific. I'm going to go have myself a big glass of coconut milk. Um, Jeff, who's on the big show next week? Next week, John Boehner. John Boehner. <laughs> John Boehner. We're going to talk all about all that. We're going to talk about the debt crisis, right? That'd be great. Well, he's got nothing else to do. Apparently, you can just you know draw a paycheck and shut down the government and threaten everybody. It's actually life. not John Boehner. Uh, the oh, guest. it isn't. I'm it's sorry. not. No, it's uh, Mike Brito. Uh, Mike Brito, uh, formerly of Edelman, now joining WTO. A very good guy, very smart guy, ex Intel guy. He has a brand new book coming out called Your Brand: uh, The Next Media Company. We're going to talk all about uh, companies as brands and content and things like that. So he will be on the show next week. And to be clear, he has nothing to do with the shutdown. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. He did just change jobs. Maybe he oh, does. Yeah. We'll ask okay, him about we that. We'll, we'll ask him about that, uh, and we'll also ask him about his love of beige. It's going to be amazing. Until then, thank you all for being part of Social Pros. As mentioned at the top of the show, really appreciate uh, you telling your friends about the podcast and downloading it and all those things. If you like it, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, etc. Thanks again. I'm Jay Bear from Convince a Convert. He is Jeff Roars from Exact Target. She is Zena Weist from Xbeyond. She was and still is Jen Beechin from White Wave. Thanks as always. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Okay, coming through. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to presenting sponsor Exact Target, as well as Cision, Janrain, and XPI. Now, get back to work. <laughs>